in the first years of my life, I all the time heard the logic of you should try to live the world at least a little bit better than how it was the day when you were born. I'm mostly looking for ways for every single business in the world to be one that is dedicated to solving problems and never to increasing the problems of the world and the problems that the humans are experiencing. Welcome to Let's Fix It, the podcast from the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship and the World Economic Forum that speaks to leading social innovators and finds out how they're fixing some of the world's biggest problems. We're running out of time to combat climate change and we need innovative solutions now. On this episode, we speak to two social innovators who are using their ingenuity, drive and compassion to put our planet first and fight global warming. So Easy Solar, we've brought power to about 800,000 people now and we employ over 800, bringing yeah, solar solutions to people who need it more all the way to the last mile. Yeah, I think that's what social entrepreneurship is to me, like using business to be of service. Subscribe to Let's Fix It on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to like, rate and review us. I'm Pavitra Raja at the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship. Join me and learn how some of the world's brightest minds are quite literally fixing it. My first guest, Gonzalo Munoz, grew up surrounded by social entrepreneurs. However, it was only after his friend's unfortunate passing that Gonzalo started his first social enterprise. His career now includes running his own organic winery, building sustainable food businesses, and running Latin America's first ever benefit corporation, Triciclos. Gonzalo has also played crucial leadership roles at the COP25 and COP26 conferences. These are some of the world's most important conferences on climate change. Gonzalo's story is one of resilience and compassion, and you're sure to be inspired after this one. Here's more. Uh, well, I'm Gonzalo Muñoz. I'm Chilean and Spaniard. I, I was born in Chile uh, in a family where the concept of impact and transcendence was quite in the center. I worked my first 10 years in the business sector. I was a very young CEO, mostly in the food sector in Argentina and Chile and Spain. Then I realized that I should do something different. So I uh, went into Secular economy. I was qu quite concerned about the problem of waste uh, increasing all around the world. So I co-created with another group of friends a, a company called Triciclos that then later became the first certified B corporation outside of North America. And through that, I also co-founded Sistema B and also participated in the expansion of the B Corp community all around the world. Then at the same time, as a side business, I started also with a friend of the university, a winery. It's also a B Corp called Polcura uh, that still runs nowadays, one of the best Shiraz in the world. I'm being absolutely honest on that. And then all of a sudden, the president of my country called me to see whether I was available for taking a role in the COP25 process. Chile at that time was starting the incoming presidency of the Conference of the Parties on Climate Change, and they needed someone to take the role of the high-level climate action champion, meaning the person that has to mobilize all non-governmental entities from all around the world, and I was absolutely honored to do that. Probably he chose me because 
I was uh, at that time for quite a long time a member of the Schwab Foundation. I'm saying I'm saying this absolutely serious. My participation in the World Economic Forum and and mostly around the social entrepreneurship community, how I was also involved on the new plastics economy and everything around circular economy was an expression of what needed to happen also on the climate ecosystem while mobilizing different actors of the non-governmental entities into implementing the Paris Agreement. So that has been my trajectory so far. I'm still working with the high-level climate action champions at COP, now as the chairman of the advisory board. I'm also all the time back into my business with the Ciclos uh, on circular economy and Manuya, helping companies mostly to implement ESG. Also a very proud father of three amazing uh, now young women. Gonzalo, you wear so many hats. You've been a social entrepreneur. You've been a business leader. You've been a COP25, a climate champion. You do, you wear a lot of hats. So tell me, what are you fixing and why are you fixing it? I worked for 10 years as a CEO of, let's call, traditional businesses or 19th century or 20th century businesses that were mostly dedicated to growth and increasing the profit for the shareholders. During the rest of my life, I've mostly looking for ways for every single business in the world to be one that is dedicated to solving problems and never to increasing the problems of the world and the problems that the humans are experiencing. I do understand that in the past, probably in the early years, that was the logic of creating a business. I have a skill or I know how to do something. It has a need and I can solve that need and therefore I can solve a problem. Most of the business were probably in smaller communities. It was absolutely evident that your activity should never affect negatively the people surrounding you and the environment surrounding you. Nowadays, we have so many challenges, so many problems, so many crises. Some of them are being created by the business sector. And I understand that we are therefore in front of such an amazing opportunity. What? How about changing the logic of those businesses that are being operating on a linear basis to operating on a circular basis? How do we operate in a way that we don't depend on fossil fuels, but rather on renewable energy? How do we operate in a business that can really question all the hard questions inside the business and really try to solve every single negative externality as we do in the Beacon movement? How can we produce an amazing product in a way that can regenerate the ecosystem. Those are the things that I'm trying to bring into the business sector, both those small SMEs and startups that can therefore bring a lot of energy and even disrupt certain sectors of the economy. Also, the big multinationals that have, of course, a harder time to change their trajectory. But if they do so, every single degree they change, has a massive impact all around the world, but then also how to positively influence the public sector in a way that the governments can really count on the energy, the capacity, the technology, the creativity that comes from the business sector in a way that will be available for solving public problems. That's what I'm trying to fix. I think that it will be really hard to imagine that we will solve all the problems of the world, including those that are more urgent without the capacity coming from the private sector, from the business sector, from the financial institutions that position the incentives. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to fix. And I'm doing it in a way that 
I'm using several different tools and points of contact and influence as a kind of translator. I think that I am someone that speaks the language of the governments, the languages of businesses, startups, the language of the NGOs. So that's what I'm trying to fix. I mean, you're trying to fix the entire private sector and the way it operates and and make it into a more climate-friendly capacity. And that's no small task by all means. Tell me a little bit about your journey. You went from being a social entrepreneur, you're a dad, you're all of these things. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship journey. Every single aspect of that is first. I use the word, I co-founded. I never started anything by my own. So I'm really thankful for the people with whom I have been working in all of these hats, but also to all of those people that, that were here before myself and setting the conditions for me to build on what they have done. In my case, my parents were absolutely instrumental on that first, of course, setting like the expectations. I come from a family where... Transcendence is extremely relevant. In the first years of my life, I all the time heard the logic of you should try to leave the world at least a little bit better than how it was the day when you were born. Please focus on how are you going to deliver impact that is somehow equivalent to the level of privilege that you have received. I am, also, of course, a very privileged person to have lived in that type of family with also the resources that I got from there. There's something really important in my roots, in my family. And uh, in a certain moment, my my youngest daughter, that is now a 21-year-old fantastic uh, woman studying in the university, she got cancer at the age of three years old. And it was a very nasty cancer. She's now healthy, amazing, to, to understand that life can be extremely short, that we as humans are really weak, let's say. And what, what am I waiting for really doing what I think I'm supposed to do in this, uh, in, in this moment in time, in my short period of life? So I started talking with this uh, with a great friend of mine. He was an entrepreneur at that time, starting an amazing business. And I was also supporting him as an investor. We were having a conversation about what is the role of business? And, and isn't it reasonable to imagine that you can run a business in a way that can not only generate profit, but generate profits in a way that you would, will be absolutely proud of everything that he's doing? And Nico then died in an accident. So that was the moment when I say, okay, it's enough. This is the moment for me to just start something different. But I'm now really proud. I started then the triciclos with Manuel and Joaquin. And Joaquin died two years later in, a, in an air crash. So I'm all the time carrying that experience, like not only the health moment of my own child, but also my two great friends that are here. I always have two empty chairs on my side. They are here with me and I'm dedicating all my energy, all my time to also honor all the things that we were dreaming at that time and keep on carrying the passion and the determination. Wow, Gonzalo, thank you so much for openly sharing your story. I'm so glad to hear that your daughter is well and she's thriving and she's in university. From what you've talked about with your family, social entrepreneurship has almost been in your DNA. What does that word really mean to you, the word social entrepreneur? Well, probably the word social entrepreneur has like the, the two elements. Like someone, an entrepreneur is someone that is capable and willing to create something new. It's going to put all of his or her energy and, and resources towards some goal through an organization. But the word social is the one that changes that towards 
sometimes increasing the risk. So someone that is capable of trying to fill gaps of things that are not normally being addressed by running personal risks in order to pursue common good, driven by your values and not just by the recognition, by the, the money or whatever it's going to generate, pursuing social goods and the level of risk that, uh, let's say, a normal entrepreneur would not consider. Gonzalo, tell me a little bit about Triciclos. You started Triciclos. Why, why did you choose to start this organization? Why was circular economy so important topic to you? So Triciclos means three, the three cycles, the triple, referring to the triple bottom line. As I said, like the three of us, Manuel, Joaquin, and I, we were inspired on the logic of trying to change how business operates and trying to create a business that is run by the logic of questioning every single negative externality and through that, not only create more value, but also position the company in a way that makes it more love and therefore it will increase your revenues. That, that was the logic. Initially, we iterated like 40 different types of business models. So for example, Joaquin was so inspired on the logic of housing for the, the immigrants. He was also analyzing different business models that could help solve the situation of homeless people. Manuel was much more into food and how, as, as the two of us had been working for several years in that sector, he was analyzing much more on how to provide healthy food for in a very attractive way for mostly schools and universities. And in my case, I was very into waste and recycling and eco-efficiency. And, and we even tested many mechanisms for expanding solar power plants and solar devices. And, and, and it took us rapidly into not only circular economy, but specifically into packaging in terms of which type of elements, plastic elements mostly. So I was really aware that in a, in a traditional food sector or in every type of system that is packing, at least at that time, there was no incentive whatsoever to analyze how that material is going to potentially go back to the system, not to be dumped uh, in the environment. If we change the mindset of the citizens, if we create solutions that will flow in a proper way, but also send the right messages to the companies, we can also send the right messages to the politicians. So we say in Triciclo that waste is nothing than an error of design. And also our mindset and the way that we consume is wrongly designed. And therefore, there are mechanisms where we can design it in a better way. For us to fix this issue, most of us don't think about trash that way. No, most of us don't think about the consequences of our own actions. What needs to happen to fix this problem? It's a combination of factors. How do we help companies to be much more aware? If I have to ask for one thing, increase the cost of dumping waste. If dumping a ton of waste would cost a million dollars, then no, one, no one would be generating, yeah, as simple as that. If we were capable as humanity to understand the damage that we have been generating in the ecosystem and how much that is related to damages, small fraction of that damage, then simple as that. Increase the cost of dumping one ton of waste worldwide, period. If you're a social entrepreneur wanting to influence policy and business the way that you have, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them? 
if you recognize the work of others that have been here before you, that will make the trajectory, your organization, yourself, much brighter. So work with the humbleness to understand that you're not alone here and that you're just one element into a whole chain of people and organizations and history that have been working to solve that. That will support the solution of the problem rather than support yourself. You're not here to serve yourself. You're here to solve a, a problem that needs to be solved. That was the inspiring Gonzalo Munoz, founder of Triciclos and high-level climate champion for COP25. Now don't go anywhere because after the break, we're going to hear from Natabi Singh Mosea, a social entrepreneur who is lighting up lives in Sierra Leone. I'm Linda Lucina, host of Meet the Leader, the flagship leadership podcast from the World Economic Forum, where top leaders from business, government, and more share how they're tackling the world's biggest challenges. Leaders like activist Jane Goodall. You've got to reach the heart. It's no good arguing with the head. Or leadership expert John Amici. You can find your inner giant no matter what. Or leaders like former Vice President Al Gore. We have to be willing to make bold moves. Or even CEOs like Verizon's Hans Vestberg. If you're going to lead other people, you need to start with yourself. Only from the World Economic Forum. This is Meet the Leader. Welcome back to Let's Fix It, the podcast from the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship at the World Economic Forum. In this episode of Let's Fix It, we're hearing from social entrepreneurs who have made climate justice their mission. Have you ever felt discouraged, like you don't have what it takes to make real change? Well, so has my next guest. And despite all odds, Natabi Singh Mosea is transforming the lives of 700,000 people. Her company, Easy Solar, is providing remote communities with affordable renewable energy. Despite being a successful social entrepreneur, Natabi gets candid about not feeling good enough and facing imposter syndrome. And yet, she perseveres to shape a better future for her community. Here's the incredible Natabi Singh Mosea. At Easy Solar, we're fixing fundamentally what I call an injustice. So I was born during the apartheid era in South Africa. My father was in exile. And he left his country uh, for 20 years to fight for political freedom. And it's interesting because I grew up, you know, with that example in the Rainbow Nation. And I think I always had this thing in me to like fix an injustice or address an injustice when you see it. Uh, so very much let's fix it. And we have a multitude of problems. Um, and then I think I just kind of stumbled in some ways through my life experiences um, first, you know, when I was in high school, we had load shedding in South Africa, which meant, you know, the grid would go out when I was studying for my exams. And, you know, we didn't really have a generator or any backup power. So we would study by candlelight. Uh, no joke. Um, and yeah, I think that was kind of the first experience I had of like, oh, power is actually foundational to almost everything in life. I traveled across the African continent, um, very privileged to have done so through my first job. Across all of those places, I just saw that you can't really talk about development on the African continent if you don't have like the foundation of any modern economy, which is power, right? And we electrification began in the 1880s <laughs> in Britain and the US and, and parts of Europe. And at that time, you know, in the early 2000s, it was like, why does 60% of the one whole population not have access to something we figured out at least a century ago? 
I was like, well, I don't have all the answers to this. So I went to go and study and I went to, to do a grad school program focusing like on energy specifically and trying to think about how renewable energy can help, you know, tackle both energy access and climate change, which is also like for me, like a another injustice that the African continent has to face and, and bear the brunt of. But yeah, I went to grad school and I met my co-founders there. We came up with this idea. I was really interested in working in West Africa because to me, it was a region that there was some level of development on the power grid, but there was not enough happening. Whereas East and South Africa, there was quite a bit. So we started the company in Sierra Leone, where at the time, 95% of the population didn't have access to power. And in Liberia, it was 98. And so, yeah, I think the problem we were trying to tackle was just this um, grave injustice where, you know, which was concentrated at like a scale that I didn't even know, like, you know, I'd heard of countries without 20 or 30% power, but when you have 95% of the population, you're literally, you're living in different worlds, you're living in different planets. Tell me a little bit about Easy Solar and what exactly do you do in terms of giving power to people? And and you talked a little bit about climate justice, which is also very important to you. And again, you're right, the Global South is facing the brunt of something that the Industrial Revolution caused. And now the Global South has been asked to cut emissions. So there is a bit of injustice there. Easy Solar is taking that into account, the need to provide power, but also the fact that this needs to be renewable and it needs to be accessible. So how exactly are you bringing solutions to those problems? I think, first of all, I love solar. Like the most amazing things have happened, uh, I think, over the last 20 years. Number one, the cost curve of this, of solar is insane. You kind of look at it 20 or 30 years ago, and now it's literally possible to electrify an entire household in a rural village in Sierra Leone for roughly $200, right? You can give them basic lighting and appliances. The other thing that's really cool is once you get somebody, like a couple of panels, a battery, an inverter, you can upgrade them over time because you just add battery and panel capacity, right? And so it's what they what we call modular in the industry. And it's also smart. All of our solar systems have smart internet of things technology embedded in them so we can communicate with the systems. So what happens is we find agents in rural communities, we train them up, we give them materials, and we work with like the local village structures, so chiefs and elders, and then we, you know, hire that person as a commission-based agent, and they go and find people who are off the grid. Uh, most people actually in, in the markets we operate can't afford a $200 solar home system. So what we do is we use this technology and people pay a deposit, which is like 10% of the value of the price, which is quite affordable for most people. And then there's a timer that runs in the system, and so we can communicate with them. And then a person signs up to a payment plan, and once they pay their next installment, the system keeps working uh, and once they finish paying off, it's theirs. So they finish paying off anyway from six months to two years, and then it's free. We offer a warranty, and then over the lifetime of the system, which can be, you know, roughly, I think in a, in a good scenario, eight to ten years, we have six to eight years of free power. And then what we usually do is we'll upgrade people over time. So we'll upgrade your battery and your your panel. We we really work through local community structures. We have people that we employ in those communities. And then we really price these systems at a level people can afford. But we don't just stop with people having a basic system. So we are bringing in solar TVs, solar uh, freezers. We're looking at what we call productive use, which is like agricultural equipment, solar water pumps that can actually like bring people's um, income up. So we talked a little bit about your personal journey as to why energy is so important to you, why it's a source of power. You went and studied overseas, you came back. Tell me a little bit about your journey as a social entrepreneur. Did you always know that this is something you wanted to do? And also, what does that word really mean to you? 
No, I, I don't think that was something I thought I wanted to be. I think, as I said earlier, I think I'd always been kind of a restless spirit and that I just felt very uncomfortable with just the kind of way people accepted how broken the world was in many ways. I said no to a lot of things, but I didn't really know what I wanted to say yes to until I think energy became my cause. My journey to being a social entrepreneur was a very convoluted one. I think, you know, my parents didn't have too much. And so there was a, a pressure to provide some level of economic stability. And, and so people didn't go off and, and you know, do those things. And so I, I did my degree and, I, you know, I, I went and I did the conventional route. I did, you know, internships and investment banking, hated that. Kind of went into management consulting. It was like a cool thing of like being able to solve problems for clients and, and learn a lot of like skills really quickly. Yeah, I think when I decided eventually to go study, it, it did feel like things hit the nail hit on the head. I wouldn't say I like fell into entrepreneurship naturally in that I had student loans, so I couldn't really, you know, afford to, to pay for myself. I had like a full scholarship to school, but actually just to live in New York, I had to take a loan to pay for rent and stuff. And, and so, yeah, I think when I was deciding whether or not to apply for a job or you know continue doing this project that was like it was literally just a classroom project at the beginning and we had entered some like business plan competitions we had won some some seed funding so for me the trade-off was really do I you know take lucrative jobs go into renewable energy project finance which is what I really wanted to do really build like large wind and solar projects across the continent and yeah, I weirdly enough, nobody really understood this once again. I fell in love with Sierra Leone. I fell in love with the company. I fell in love with the idea of waking up every day and having a real impact on people's lives. And um, I don't think that's something it's I'm trying to put it into words, but it is just this calling, um, a call to action, a call to being of service I would say and I think that's what social entrepreneurship is it's like leveraging models of business which I think can be quite effective to reaching a lot of people but with a heart with a purpose with this idea of I am going to be I'm going to use this profit making crazy capitalist world to be of service and actually I'm going to measure it not just by endless growth but by endless impact that's Beautiful and so inspiring. And one of the causes you feel very strongly about as well is empowering women across the African continent as well. Tell me a little bit about why this is such an important aspect of, of your role as a social entrepreneur and as a woman from the African continent. To me, like I've been really fortunate in my life that my dad and my mom really emphasize education. And to me, education is everything. It's something that you, once you have, nobody can take away from you. Um, and so I think even beyond like social enterprise or opportunities, like that's the foundation. Yeah, I mean, most African women are like entrepreneurs, <laughs> if we're real. Like everyone I know has a hustle. They're really the heads of the household in some ways. And, you know, my mom was an Avon lady and she was selling chilies and <laughs> she had like five or four different things she was doing to supplement the family's income and she was just this like incredible saleswoman but based on time and you know generations I've been the one that's been lucky enough to you know and I think hardworking enough to to kind of take her passion and make something of myself with the world's tools but I, I think we don't give enough of the world's tools to African women representation matters I don't think you know when I grew up I saw a lot of examples of um, African women who didn't have, who didn't come from much, but made their journey and then actually like told 
how you get there because it always seemed like this like insurmountable like sort of hill or you needed to have intense networks or you need to be connected and no it's just like you make a series of choices and you set it a vision and an intention and you do everything in your power to get there take that leap find those people who believe in you don't think you're crazy yes access to power networks matter so it's not just about a dream i'm very passionate about that to say the reason why i'm here today is because i made decisions to learn from the places that had really defined the way our world works uh, and it's really unfortunate that we don't have enough of those on the african continent and so many of us have to go abroad but i think we have to come back there's so much brain drain happening now and i think like i don't think you have to like go and come back i think there are a lot of amazing stories of people who are who started from the beginning but i think that's my journey and so i can speak to that but i i will say there is a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes of like there is a sense of even though i have done amazing things i'm like oh am i here because you know they need somebody of this group and i think we are living in an age where representation is becoming increasingly important and it's so this weird thing of even when you're on the stage you're doubting yourself and i just want to share as well that like to me true courage is having those voices in your head and getting up on the stage and saying this is so much important more important than whatever i i'm thinking about myself in this moment and i have to like tell myself that that's not me like i i am good enough and i if i wasn't good enough i wouldn't be here since we look backwards now it looks for, to, towards you know what advice you give to your younger self now I want, want to know a little bit about what excites you about the future i just feel like i was born at the right time and i'm in the right industry and like all the cards are aligning and we're finally at this like inflection point as a society where we realize this kind of industrial society that was built on all the wrong things needs to change and the voices that are contributing to this conversation are the people that have felt sometimes the biggest brunt of that and so for me what excites me is we are on the verge of i think one of the most incredible revolutions in the energy space and i do hope we we get there fast enough in that our entire energy system literally has to change like we know we are at the end of hydrocarbon man as Daniel Yergin puts it in his book where you know we kind of mined into the world and we exploited these millions and millions and uh, billions of years of you know carbon that was stored in the ground and we had exponential energy from that but now we need to find other ways um to still have as prosperous societies but built on you know more sustainable technologies and so i'm literally in a place where we can electrify and build bring power to people we can reform even transportation systems in a clean way so like it's almost like africa has a you know we're almost lucky i don't want to say that in some ways and that we we are not we never really built our society to be fully industrial and now suddenly we get to do it i would say in the right way i think there are some injustices in that in that we're having to rise above a problem we did not create but i think it's 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 incredible we we get to think about grids different ways you know in the same way there's a example people use about the mobile technology revolution and how we leapfrogged you know mobile infrastructure and now literally we're bringing power at scale to people using like you know solar home systems that are smart so like think about it a rural village in Sierra Leone in Liberia the first time they have access to power it's a smart bidirectional sort of standalone system and not only that they're like also having financial inclusion as well you know because all of their systems are recorded on a remote payment infrastructure 
you know, and it's all green, right? It's it's carbon neutral. I wake up every day and be like, I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right things for the right people. And this is long overdue. And I, I think the future for the African continent is so, I'm so excited to see what it will be like when we actually have 100% of people on the grid, you know, having smart technology, finally participating not in not just the first, second and third, but the fourth industrial revolution. I'm excited to see what happens because I just see it in, in a small little cove in my work, what it means for children to have a good experience when they're studying at night. And I kind of go back to my own experience and to know that someone's potential is not limited by energy. They're not contributing to the climate problem, uh, even though they will face the brunt of it. But I think, of course, you can lament about all the injustices, but I can't imagine anything more yeah, fulfilling um, than, than just waiting to see what happens when Africa's potential is unlocked. That was Natabi St. Mosea, co-founder of Easy Solar. Want to hear more inspiring stories of how social innovators are fixing it? Well, then check out our website, schwabfound.org. Thanks to our guests today, Natabi St. Mosea and Gonzalo Munoz. Please subscribe to Let's Fix It wherever you get your podcasts and please do leave us with a writing or a review. This episode of Let's Fix It was presented by me, Pavitra Raja, and produced by Alex Court. With thanks to Amy Kirby and Jerry Johnson for editing and Tom Birchall for sound design. Special thanks to our partners, Mutsepe Foundation, and thanks also to our executive producers, Georg Schmidt, Robin Pomeroy, and Francois Bonici. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more inspiring stories.